Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Um, Chargers should be pressed against the Carabao Corp organizers for allowing us to go ahead. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Talk Detective Podcast. My name is Daniel. It's your boy, Double H, half the whole trend of is just trying to stay alive. Yeah, we do this podcast every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on SoundCloud at Talking Tactics. You can follow us on Facebook at Talking Tactics 352. The main one is Twitter at Talking Tactics. You can follow us each individually. I'm at to look. Half Hope is where. For your boy at Half Hope Pot, yes, I'm meeting Chinchin in Nigerian delicacy at Half Hope Pot. Also, thank you, thank you, thank you. Do you have the names of our patrons so far? I mean, I just can get to, you like, the names. A, a quick thanks to our, our, our patrons so far. You know, but just say thank you very much for the people who have contributed so far to our patronage, man. We salute you. Seth, oh, Tosin, Etienne, Fraser, and a guy called Mash. So shout yeah. out to you guys. Um, the first Talking Tactics Extra is going to be today. So you'll get that today. You know what? I'm even going to put a little clip of maybe like 30 seconds of our Talking Tactics Extra from today right mm. here. So if or, you or like, like, like a really sexy snippet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like uh if you go on patreon.com slash talking tactics, links in the description. There's mm. a bunch of tiers, and the three dollar tier is talking tactics extra. So this is a little snippet from our first talking tactics extra. I want to know how many football fans voted for Brexit. That's what I want to know. Did they <laughs> did any football fan who was like a real hardcore patriot vote for Brexit and like, oh damn it, that's actually gonna affect how my team buys players from abroad oops (laughs) i live with someone who has a dimitri payet football shirt and he voted leave to which i was like you you know that you just made that guy's life harder right you sing his name most likely he's like yeah well you know we need to be better we're better off on our own we need to be independent i was very much "Mm -hmm." be independent do you know how how (laughs) stupid oh my god but just the stupid the level of stupidity is amazing so oh man that was great man jeez that was superb (laughs) man i can't wait that is what you're going to be able to listen to. Um, just go check out the tiers 
And, uh, you know, we really appreciate everyone who's uh, who's looked at it so far, who's put their money in the offering plate, so to speak. Carl should be here in a little bit. Um, by the way, we're watching Wolves Man City. It's 1-0 to Man City. Uh, so if we seem a little bit distracted, give us a little bit of forgiveness there. Um, so the biggest match of the week, without question, Manchester United traveled to Wembley Stadium to play kind of the home side, but not really the home side in, in, in Tottenham. And it was one of those ones where Manchester United, they haven't played anybody. Uh, this is their Bro. first big test. Uh, how are they going to do against a would-be title challenger? If, that, if I can put that in air quotes. And United, they were high. No, 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 no. Let's be real. For me, that's a, a great win because that's an even better win than if they won like 3-0, 4-0 because that's a real win because first half, they were really good. Second half, Tottenham were all over them. So mm-hmm. what you saw was great tactics, great attacking, counter-attacking football. And then which in the second half was great mental resolve and amazing defense like Lindelof. This guy was one of uh, the Brick Academy and um, Valedictorians under Mourinho. But under Solskjaer, this guy's defending. A match amazing. So this was an even better win for United than if they just um, won like 4-0 because it was a real grind. It's a real 1-0 grind. So Can we so, talk about like now Now that Paul Pogba feels good, we're seeing like France Pogba now? It, that, no, 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 that's classic Pogba. Not a great game, a clutch mo- moment. And that's why he's Pogba. Yeah, but that pass to, to Rashford reminded me a little bit, a little bit of the one to Mbappe in the World Cup final. So I was like, hey, I know this guy. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. it's good that he's back. Um, Carl, what, what did you see in kind of like the first half of that game? It's a really notable thing about United Spurs was um, Solskjaer's approach. He played Jesse Lingard in the middle of a midfield three uh, in, the, in the attacking crew. So he played 4-3-3. Um, at, but rather than have Marcus Rashford as a central tr- striker, um, he had Lingard as, as the central striker to work almost like a false nine. So, so the plan clearly was to work on fast transitions and exploit the large amounts of space left by Tottenham Hotspur's fullbacks when they went forward. So Lingard, Preston, harried and, and more or less tried to occupy, occupy that half space on the left-hand side. And the plan was anytime Lingard made a ball recovery or Pogba made a ball recovery or Anne Herrera made a ball recovery, they immediately looked to release Martial on the left-hand side, or if Martial wasn't there, maybe Rashford on the right-hand side, because Martial and Rashford are both very, very good players on one-on-ones, and that was clearly the plan, basically target Kieran Trippier, who's low-key having quite a bad season. Mm. Um, Ander Herrera was more or less tasked to, to man-mark Deli Ali. This is what Ander Herrera does in big games. He was fantastic on Sunday. Uh, he got an 88% pass completion in Tottenham's half, and he recovered possession 10 times for United. Other noble thing, Rashford and Martial stayed up high. So rather than do any defensive work, they were always primed for those balls for Paul Pogba, which is another really interesting thing about uh, United, which you know we, we described this during the World Cup, but when Paul Pogba plays for France, the moment he gets a ball, uh, Mbappe, Dembele or someone else is bombing forward so we can release them immediately. When he did it for United, for the most part, he didn't have that option. And therefore, he was caught in possession quite often. Now he's got runners. Oh, there has been a red card in Wolves, Man City. Bolly's just been sent off. It was it was a plan very much uh, that worked for the first half. Rashford took his goal very very smartly. The goal was bought from Jesse Lingard winning possession off Kieran Trippier in the middle of the park, immediately giving the ball to Pogba. Pogba immediately releases Rashford. Rashford uses his pace, gets the shot. On. 
that's the game plan. It worked very well in the first half, and the second half, it basically became the David De Gea show. David De Gea made 11 saves. David De Gea has never made more saves in a game where he has kept a clean sheet. So he made 14 in the famous in the uh, 3-1 victory at the Emirates Stadium last season, but that game finished 3-1. So yeah, 11 saves. It's the record in the Premier League this season so far. His feet, basically his feet position. De Gea's great USP compared to most of the goalkeepers in the league is how often he makes great saves with his feet. So he does the long barrier, the short barrier technique. If anyone listening has played cricket will know you're basically creating a, using your legs to create like a sort of side squat or a lunge. So if you've ever done a forward lunge, imagine that, but with your legs sideways and your knee connects with your heel to basically stop anything from hitting under you. And he's very, very good at doing that. Uh, ben Foster made an interest, uh, made a tweet after the game, basically saying words to the effect of, yeah, I know a lot of De Gea naysayers say, oh, the ball is shot straight at him. But you have to understand that De Gea puts in an incredible amount of work to make sure he's in the correct position so you have no other option but to shoot it directly at him. Um, and basically applauded De Gea's goalkeeping work. De Gea is top three goalkeepers in the Premier League, top five in the world right now. Is that okay to say? I think he's the best in the Premier League. Maybe Allison has a shout. And definitely top three or four in the world. Like you have yeah. Stegen, you have Oblak, and then who? It's like toss-up. You can pick Allison, you can pick De Gea, maybe Edison's in there. Neuer off legacy, but not right now. You know what I mean? So what's also quite interesting is basically he's done this after having that World Cup hangover. De Gea was phenomenal playing on like ridiculous goalkeeping levels last season to keep United in the Champions League spaces. United should have finished fifth, but it it's De Gea was more or less the entire defensive action. And then he had the World Cup. He didn't have a great World Cup. He conceded many shots on target. Obviously, he hasn't had the best start, you know, the best three months, four, three, four months playing on the third season of the, the previous manager. And But it seems to have sort of shaken off the World Cup hangover and, and recovered his, his status as... A, this is why I say he's, he's probably top three in the league. I don't want to say he's the best in the league right now because, you know, United have still conceded 32 goals this season, which mm. isn't great. But he's, he's on his way and very much... I imagine United are going to give him a very lucrative offer when uh, when it comes to negotiating his contract extension in the summer. Shout out to that fax machine one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, have hope. Have hope. Your top three goalkeepers in the world. Go. One, Stegen. Two, Oblak. Three, De Gea. And special mention for Handanovic. Okay. Okay, so like Neuer is like not in these conversations now. No, 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 see, see, just no, because he's injured? There, wait, there is form and legacy. The Godfather, Granddaddy, the one that all the kids go to, to like, like, like an African elder just to pay homage to, is Noya. So <laughs> Noya is still the Godfather of kids. So I, I put him in a separate category that once Noya gets his head focused, nobody's touching Noya. He's, he's still the chief ogre of everything. But form, based on how well you're playing on form as of right now, legacy out of the way, Stegen, Oblak, De Gea. Okay. All right. Um, all right. We have one Manchester United question that we'll do now. Um, the Torch asks, have you ever seen a turnaround quite like what we've seen at Manchester United since Uncle Moo was sacked? I, why people are calling him Uncle Moo? <laughs> I hope the brainwashing is working. Uh, is this all down to a change in culture within the club? If so, ooh, how ooh. important... I'm sorry sorry for, sorry for screaming, but Gabriel Jesus has just had a very nasty collision with a goalpost. That, that, that doesn't look good. No, it does not. <laughs> oh, fuck. 
So to answer your question, has there ever been a a, a, a great turnaround in a football team um, immediately after changing manager? Yes, there has. And as I said before, this is what happened when Chelsea got rid of said Portuguese manager. After Chelsea got rid of uh, him after his third season, they got in good sitting, and Chelsea went 13 games unbeaten. They eventually finished tenth in this season and and <laughs> made a good run in the cup. This is what this is what happens when you get rid of this manager. Well, when you get rid of that manager in the third season, what's also quite interesting is what happened to Chelsea for a long time when Chelsea would get rid of a manager who wasn't Mourinho. So very often they'd bring in someone, the manager didn't work out, and they'd get someone else in, and they'd be like, right, we're going to revert to Mourinho-style football, which is you know the Chelsea bring it back to basics. This is often, you know, you should look at what Craig Shakespeare did at Leicester City after what? <laughs> Jesus is back on the pitch. <laughs> They're putting him back on the pitch. I mean, they didn't show a replay, I don't think, but uh, that didn't look good. There's no way he's right. One, yeah, one thing, well, you know, one 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 good anecdote is when uh, when David Moyes was sacked from, from Manchester United. One point of conjecture from the David Moyes era at United was that fact that he, uh, apparently on on Fridays before before match day, um, United players were allowed chips in the canteen. Moyes thought that was not uh, professional, so banned chips from from the canteen. Within minutes of David Moyes being sacked, Ferdinand went to Ryan Giggs and went, "Oh mate, bring the chips back in." Uh, a similar story, <laughs> similar story for uh, for uh, for Leicester. So when Leicester in. went when Leicester went through their great amazing run with Ranieri, Ranieri cite the fact that he got rid of condiments and pizza. So when, when Leicester went on that massive title run, you know, they'd beat you 3-2 or they'd beat you 4-1 or they'd, they'd score a lot, but they'd also concede. And Ranieri went, how do I make you boys not concede? And he goes, I tell you what, if you don't concede this weekend, I'll get you a pizza. And then they went on that massive run of 1-0s and 2-0s. The season after that, they're again not eating the food they want to eat. Shakespeare comes in and he brings back chips. He brings back chicken nuggets he brings back that sort of stuff to get the bounce so they don't get relegated if your team's in a slump of form and you sack a manager your new manager the new manager bounce is brought about by you know the manager going look lads you're not as bad as what you've been playing how do i fix that and it can also be brought back by like look lads have have the food you haven't been able to eat for six months and then let's see what goes on i'm just happy that jesus is still alive <laughs> Uh, all right, so West Ham beat Arsenal. Um, I'll, I'll throw it to you, Double H, assuming you watched the game. On on, on, on a very legal stream. <laughs> what did you think of uh, Nasri coming back, pulling strings, looking good for about 70 minutes there? No, no, but basically, you know what? I was I, I, I said to myself, and I think because I, 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 I was watching it in the office with um, someone, and I, and I said that if Nasri scores... I bet you anything he will do the Adebayo celebration. Wherever the Arsenal fans are, he will sprint, head up, hands rolling, and just sliding across them. Because he's just Nasri is one of those guys that he really doesn't care. Like, like it, he doesn't really get the beef with everything. He's just like a, a dude. But um, for Arsenal, man, there's the Ozil issue. There's the defense issue. There's the Emery substitution issue. There's the, okay, you're playing two strikers, but you have Aubameyang on the left wing issue. So I think that the put also to one side, I just think the biggest thing with Emery is that you don't have a system that you're sticking into. And for West Ham, Anatovic is going to be a big loss if he goes to China, which he will because that's a lot of money. Like Cheddar is Cheddar. Mo I mean, money is money. You know, you've got kids to, to feed. So he's, he, so he's going to China to end that cash. But <laughs> I just think that let's look at Felipe Anderson, man, because this was a dude where 
allowed to, everybody allowed to say that now, this, this guy's not performing to the standard we expect of him. And he really was supposed to really be like that next kind of Brazilian, not major star, but like kind of like tier two kind of star for the Brazil team. But he never lived up to potential. But looking at what he's doing for West Ham, I mean, you have to put him in the conversation of one of the best players in the Premier League out of the top, top six. But you know, no, but West Ham playing quality, quality for football, man. Their front three is, is kind of cool still, like uh, Anderson, Nazri, Arnautovic. Who knows how long that's going to stay together. But Nazri hasn't played football, I think, in, they said, like, a year plus. And Arnautovic looks good. Uh, Anderson, like, the, 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 the thing where he was, like, running down the, 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 the sideline and he was fixing his gloves. That was dope. Like, man, oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Come on. That's, that's just gangster, man. <laughs> Mad disrespectful. But, yeah, Declan Rice, I think, is a player we have to acknowledge. Former Chelsea youth player, by the way. Um, he looked really good. I was impressed with him. I think West Ham fans are going a little bit overboard with, like, he's going to be going to Barcelona in, like, three years. Like, I, don't know, I don't know if he's that good. But, uh, yeah, he, was, he, he seemed good. Scored his first professional goal, I think. So, shout out to, shout out to Rice. There was one other point. Oh, the Ozo point, obviously. If we just look at Arsenal quickly. Can somebody tell me why they don't just play 4-4-2 with a diamond with like Lacazette and Aubameyang as your two strikers with Ozil in behind? Does that make too much sense? And then you have like uh, Torreira, have... Ramsey, and Xhaka in the three behind? That is not good enough. There's very little defensive screening for a back four that is quite poor. So they need, they need, they need to defend. Arsenal's Arsenal the problem defend. is that they're incredibly lopsided. They've got Champions League quality strikers, a Champions League quality number 10 but they've got Europa League to mid-table, other six. I think the Arsenal situation with Ozil is, is getting quite 350 a week, so, Yes. Um, Unai Emery is saying that it's for tactical reasons, so he, he doesn't have a back injury. He's not he's not ill or with a sickness. Emery was basically saying for tactical reasons, and I'm, I'm sorry, but mild disrespect to West Ham, but if you're Meza Ozil, you're Meza Ozil, you're a World Cup winning midfielder you're a champions league repeated champions league semi-finalist you're a generational talent yeah you can't run with the same pace and vigor as an amara ramsey or alex Wobie. talent but generational yeah it was also generational talent as a number 10 in his position maybe but not like overall in football right oh oh i'm not i'm not God, like so meza Ozil is fantastic at what he does whether or not what he does is what the top seven clubs in world football need anymore is besides the point when he burst through the scene in 2009 2010 with that german on the 21 side that had i want to say guys like podolsky but podolsky didn't become the people we want but when he came through that german on the 21 side and then went to the the 2010 um world cup he was a big deal Werder bremen meza Urza was a huge deal real madrid Werder bremen like massive big deal but like, you know, again, football changes. That was nine years ago. He was a generational talent, but nine years have passed since then and football has changed rapidly. Certain managers aren't good anymore. Certain managers are now fantastic. Mourinho. <coughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is, yeah, Ozil perhaps doesn't have the, the, the necessary tactical discipline or the engine. Oh, wolves. Or the engine to, to, to be the deciding factor in a positive manner in Arsenal versus Manchester City. But he definitely should have enough nouns to get past West Ham. And the yes. fact that he's not, the fact that he's not even a substitute says that basically Emery doesn't fancy him, wants to shift his wages. Emery hasn't, Arsenal don't have that much money. Well, I'm led to believe Arsenal don't have the money to which other members of the top, at uh, the top four, I'll say top four. So that's that's Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, and Manchester United. You know, Tottenham Hotspur is Tottenham Hotspur. But right. they, they don't have the, the money as the rest of those four teams. 
Have you and, read the thing like they can't buy anyone? They they can only do loans. I'm I'm hearing rumors. I don't know. I, I can't confirm or deny. Well, can't confirm or deny or verify anything right now. But basically, there there is a money flow problem. Bas basically, what Emery is doing is making me believe that quite a lot of this money is tied oh! up in. <laughs> Someone's stream is slightly slower. Yeah. Or basically, my point is, if was basically that Emery is making it quite clear that he wants to shift Ozo and Ozo's wages so he can bring in someone else. He's also letting Aaron Ramsey go. Uh, I think Aaron Ram the Aaron Ramsey Ozo uh, issue is interesting. Aaron Ramsey now looks like to go to Juventus more or less because he wants to be on Ozo's money. And also is going. We can't afford to have two players on Ozil's money. We can barely afford to have one player on Ozil's money. Um, and Ozil now has to decide what he wants to do because, frankly, he's not going to get that much. He's never going to get a contract that good again. So he can either be content to collect his money and play Europa League football and maybe half of the Premier League fixtures. Something particularly interesting: Ozil doesn't play away games for Arsenal anymore. I don't think he has done since November which is, I don't want to say frightening, but a curious quirk. You see the sick or injured or for tactical reasons. Um, and with Ramsey gone, maybe, maybe they, you know, Maitland-Niles comes in and, and takes over or, or perhaps a, another academy prospect. But Arsenal risk How being... How do they plan to progress if they're losing all of their good players? This, like, is the, this is the interesting thing. Where they're just going to go further I've... and further into mediocrity. Like you can't just, oh, let's play Maitland-Niles as an answer to letting go of Ramsey and not playing Ozo. Like there's a thing called quality that you need as well if you're really trying to go back up into the top four. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't know where to put the ceiling on this Arsenal side. If you if you look into the archive of talking tactics before the the season started, I think none of none of us predicted Arsenal to finish in the top four. They are on target for where we believe them to be at the start of the season. But now you've watched them for a bit. You're going, hang on, you can be doing better than this. You're a footballer. You obviously want to be playing football every week, but you have this contract of three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week. And the manager seemingly doesn't want to play you because they can't sign anyone because you're there. Do you take the money or do you try to leave? Um, no, it, it depends on the kind of player that, that I am and how old I am. Shout out to Pierluigi Casiraghi, who literally stole money for like two years. You know, shout out to that Chelsea dude. Winston Bogard, Winston Bogard. No, 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 no. Cas no, Casiraghi is the worst case. He literally slept and earned about 60,000 for sleeping in a, in a, in a hospital. But... Again, it depends on the kind of person you are. If um 33, I know I'm over the hill. I know that not many people are looking in for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll finesse the club and just take the cash. But <laughs> if um 26, I know that I am quality and I'm good and everything, I'll maybe do it for like a few weeks or so, but no, I'll be actually looking for another club because I feel that no, I can offer more and I can do more because I'm a hungry player quite good as I speak, who might be in a national team that may be, look, be, be looking for me to be in their team. So yeah, no, no, no. So it depends on the age and the kind of person that, that you are. Some people are just born mercenaries. Or there are some people, no, like people like a David Silva or so forth, genuinely love the, the game. They love the game of, of football. It's not about, about money. All right. Liverpool responded with a win. I thought that was telling. Uh, do we think it was a penalty on Salah quickly? Yeah. Uh, I, I think I've said this before. He bought it, but the defender was stupid for selling it. 
But mm. no, I, I, I don't, I don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> I'm not qualified to have that conversation, even though I think it's interesting. I'll tell you guys later. Good for Liverpool. They're making it interesting. I think Man City's definitely going to close this gap to four, especially with bowling out with the red card. So we'll see what happens next week in terms of the Premier League title race. Um, Chelsea won. They beat Newcastle. Slightly interesting there, if only because William scored. And I just want to say shout out William one time. He gets a lot of stick on uh, on Twitter on social media. But this is why I don't use social media that much to form opinions because I don't think people on social media really know what they're talking about. They'll just say anything for retweets. Interesting things that's going on with Chelsea. Morata seems like he could be going to somewhere in Madrid, somewhere in Spain. Higuain is apparently trying to force a move from Milan to Chelsea, but that involves Juventus getting their money. Michi Batshuayi seems to be going to Monaco. Sesc left. So Chelsea are a very active club in the January transfer market so far. What do you think, Have Hope? Is Higuain really going to change the fortunes of Chelsea dramatically? But let's be real. Is Higuain going to... Because again, I was talking to, to, to someone at UFF, Chelsea fan, and he said that now... Nah, if Higuain comes, I'm confident that Chelsea will get top four, even though six points are only separating them and United, that he's not worried about United. I'm like, bro, come on. It's 2019. You have to be real. Okay. For me, this isn't <laughs> Higuain of Napoli, who scored 36 goals. This is Higuain that slightly has put in a, a, a few more pounds. And it's not really as clinical as he as he once was. He is an upgrade for sure on... Um, you said Higuain is a few more pounds. Higuain is at his lightest. He, fought, he turned up to preseason for AC Milan with his lightest ever preseason record. Higuain was at his biggest when he was at Napoli because uh, if you've eaten food in Naples, you will get that big. Um, but in his <laughs> last season, that, yeah, that's not a slag as Higuain. That's, just like, bro. that's not a slag as Higuain. That's just, man, they make good food in the south of Italy. Uh, but he, when he rocked up to his final season at Juventus and his new season at AC Milan, he has been steadily getting to um, close to single-figure body fat. He's, he's healthier than he's ever been. You can look up contrasts on the internet of uh, Higuain medicals, and you can see the... To half hopes credit, he doesn't look in shape for a footballer. But no, maybe no, 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 just... no, 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 I go by what I'm viewing. And by viewing AC Milan, he looks like a heavy dude. He plays like a heavy dude. Okay, I can, I can, I can, I can see that. That's, that's fine. He looks like a heavy dude and he plays like a heavy dude. It's yeah, a so, 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 basically, a heavy so, dude. so the point I'm making is that basically, for Chelsea, the main thing is to get a strike. That is really the, the main thing. That is the thing that's really going to try and change their fortunes because the amount of pressure and work that Hazard has to do is stupid. Because yeah. they, they're a one-man team. It is what it is. They're, they're a one-man team, and they have a central defender doing the job of the deep-line playmaker. So which so there's a lot of weird stuff happening there with Sarri, but I just think for, for Chelsea, um, <laughs> going to the whole Hudson-Odoi thing, so you're on the bench, and you see both Pedro and William score, and you get three minutes of playing time. How does that change your mind of like, oh, no, no, I, I think Sarri has, has faith in me. No, Hudson and Doyle should be doing everything in his part to say, I want to leave right now. I want to leave right now. I want to go. I want to go to flipping Bayern Okay. Whether it's a risk or I feel or everyone, it is the smarter move to make. And, and for Chelsea, until they get a striker who can alleviate to the pressure of Hazard and get another pretty good inside forward, because again, Pedro and William, they're not top, top, top tier. 
Chelsea's that top foot for Chelsea is going to be tight, and I don't think they have enough to win the Europa League. Um, so Newcastle lost two one to Chelsea, as Daniel was described earlier. That leaves them in the relegation zone. Current rumors: so Atlanta United's Miguel Almiron, he looked heavily linked to be going to Newcastle this season. Apparently, Miguel Almiron wanted twice his current contract, and Mike Ashley's more or less gone. Absolutely not. You know, Newcastle are a side shorn of quality. They need a striker. They need a number ten. They need competent fullbacks. And Mike Ashley expressly doesn't want to invest it was quite interesting surprising quite frankly um before chelsea newcastle where rio ferdinand defended mike ashley saying that mike ashley's invested his money in newcastle over the summer uh, in the last year and and newcastle fans have a degree to be thankful for for where they are he said he described newcastle as a yo-yo club a quick fact check rio ferdinand said that mike ashley put his money into the club incorrect most of the money that's been put into that Newcastle have spent on transfers have been generated via player sales. So the sales of one album, which is Sizoko, and two of Mitrovic and another player have been what's funded most of Newcastle's business in the transfer league. Not only has Mike Ashley not put money in the club, but he's at least taken out 10 million in transfer fees recently. So there is there is a missing 10 million from, I believe, the sale of Mitrovic that hasn't been, if you look at spend and net spend, for the last couple of uh, transfer windows, Newcastle are 10 million up. Uh, this concept of Newcastle being a yo-yo club, Newcastle have been, been relegated from Premier League twice in their history. Both of those times have been under Mike Ashley. So if they are a yo-yo club, if they are a team that goes up and, da- up and down the leagues, that is because of the mismanagement of Mike Ashley. That's another fact check for Rio Fernand. And then there's the added fact that in the summer, so at the end of the Premier League season, Mike Ashley said... He wants to make amends for the work he's done at Newcastle and he admits he makes mistakes. And he promised Rafa Benitez every single penny earned from transfers would go back into the club, to which I've just said, Mike Ashley's taken 10 million out. Then it got revealed that Rio Ferdinand and Mike Ashley share the same representation and that Rio Ferdinand's clothing line is more or less being distributed through Sports Direct, Mike Ashley's company, which became a bit of, wait, you weren't being naive. You might have just you might just have been protecting your business interest. Then Rio Ferdinand doubled down on what he said on Sunday morning by saying uh, Newcastle fans need to line up. They're in profit, debt free, and in the Premier League, um, they are not in profit at all because Mike Ashley again has taken money out of the club. And in terms of in the Premiership, for how much longer? Rafa Benitez seems to be. Eh, I don't know how much more magic I can I can bring out of this squad. And they're in the relegation zone. And then it then Richard Keys. If any of you listening to this podcast remember Keys and Andy Gray on Sky Sports made words the effect of if Raf Benitez needs money for transfer funds, he should pay for it out of his own pocket. Which was a, <laughs> a very odd statement to make. Basically, like, Ashley's not the only person responsible for money at Newcastle. If Rafa mm. wants a new strike, pay for it. You know, how much money do you think Raf Benitez earns? He's not got 30 million chilling where it currently stands is that Rio Ferdinand has tweeted a whole bunch of fishing rods so it looks as if I, I believe Ferdinand wants to say he was only kidding about what he said but I, I thought it, it's good to put the spot on what's going on Newcastle United because it is it's been it's been like this for five seasons now before Rafa of just Mike Ashley's neglectful I don't want to say criminal because Mike Ashley has been brought in front of court and governments for legitimate criminal activity but neglectful hurtful business practices uh, and if you've ever been to newcastle you've been up to st james's park and you see the support newcastle get it is 
Newcastle fans deserve better. The city of Newcastle deserves better than an owner like Mac Ashley. But it's one of those things where Ashley is unwilling to sell that club for, for less than what he values it, which I think is 150 million. And all the people that want to buy Newcastle and see the potential of Newcastle are very much of the opinion that why would I buy it when it's worth 150 when I could probably buy it for 100 if they get relegated to the championship? Uh, Manchester City's playing right now, as we said, boldly sent off, so they're going to win this game. But something interesting that happened in, in the week is uh, there was this thing called a League Cup semi-final, first leg. And Manchester City played Burton Albion. Their crest is pretty bad, by the way. I can't I can't wait to talk about this t- topic. <laughs> how do you say this? One goal away from double figures. That's how you say it. One they won nine nil. They won nine nil um in a professional football match in a semi-final of a domestic cup. I'm just gonna give you the full half hope. I, I want to know what a nine-nil difference is. I wanna know should the second leg be played, and I wanna know if I don't know, Pip Gardens should be brought on charges of I don't know child child abuse. The abuse, neglect. I don't know what I don't know what the charge would be. Those are the three things I want to know. Should we press charges? Should there be a second leg? What do we call a nine-nil? Um, charges should be pressed against the Carabao Cup organizers for allowing us to go ahead. A nine-zero is a resurrection. So Botson were res- resurrected in the League Cup semi-final first leg. The second leg should not go ahead because there's no points. And lastly, this is yet another clear. Reasoning forfeit for rule. a forfeits rule having to be put in place. Ah man, you know what? The the ghosts just were pouring in. It was just like it was good for a while, and then it was just like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so then I just found a legal stream, and I thought they might get ten. Listen, you know, I, I I'm I actually disappointed they footage. didn't get ten. You know, I, I still have not seen any footage of that much. I refuse to watch any footage of that much. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! It it was a very bizarre game. So I've I've watched the last half an hour, uh, and the feeling very much seemed to be a consensus of. So the game was done at four nil at half time, and it was you know play for pride. You know you have the chance. Still no no lads, just play for pride. Try and win the second half. And there was this very odd bit after Carl Walker got his goal to make it eight, I believe, when everyone believed it could have finished ten. And I think it started trending on Twitter, we want 10. And then it became like a weird point of pride for Burton not to win the second half, but basically to deny 10. Um, <laughs> and it, 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 I don't want to say do or die, but it, it, it became this sort of weird training exercise where, where Burton sort of won a, a moral victory in, 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 in not letting the, the result get to, to 10. I, th- I want to make a point. I think Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was in the studio for Sky. And he was asked basically to 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 look at to like analyze the goal, like what Burton are doing, and he was you know he was struggling because he's like, well, all right, he's doing everything right. It's just that City's players are you know thirty, forty, sometimes sixty percent better than Burton's players. So what, what what do you want me to look at right now? The the quality of Gabriel Jesus is far and above the quality of of a Burton striker or a Burton centre back. Should there be a second leg? Um, no. <laughs> no. is, is the second leg the second leg is a burn is it not yeah probably it's, so like so, maybe well the joke was not only did burton lose nine nil but they also failed to get the crucial away goal um which i, I quite enjoy that joke but I, I think the second leg should go ahead if only because if you're a burton supporter it'd be quite if you're a burton fan when else are you going to have riyad mares gabriel jesus bernardo silva danilo you lose that right 
Zinchenko come to the stadium? Why would they play? Why would they play? Like, yeah, maybe they're coming to the stadium call, but they're not touching the pitch. He, they better not. Like, I would want, I don't know how many, 11 kids from the academy, like under 23s or whatever. I'm pretty sure they won't lose by 10. When you talk, there's a good piece by Adam. I want to say Hurry on on uh, on, on Telegraph about the 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 odd thrill of watching a, a team just resurrect another team. So so the the, <laughs> the thrill of the seven one, the thrill of the eight two in Arsenal, and how it's unique joy in football because goals are very hard to come by. So if you get more than three goals in a game, you think it's very exciting. Whereas I think I've said this before on this podcast where in rugby at school you used to have the mercy rule so if a rugby result got to more than 60 points you'd call it off because it was clear that the the talent disparity was so big there was a chance someone could get physically hurt because you're kicking each other it's a contact sport um you know there are weight classes in in combat sports in mma and boxing where it, if it becomes too obvious that someone is better than someone else that and you're gonna get hurt then the referee's like no i don't know but you don't get that in football. So you get that weird, just like, oh, they can score whenever they want. It should have been like a TKO yeah. after like five. And, and the interesting, so where, so one of the questions was for City, was it responsible for them to continue scoring goals at the rate that they were in the second half? Because normally when this happens, you know, you get what happened in, in the 7-1 where Germany go 5-0 up at half time and they have a massive chat in the chain and go, should we just not score in the second half before it gets embarrassing? And then Andre Schiller, we want to play in the World Cup final, went off and scored two more. Normally, that's what happens, right? Normally, when the gap gets too big in a game of football, the changing room itself goes, ah, look, we're 4-0 up at halftime. Maybe we should only score one more. Maybe we shouldn't go all out for the second half. But this was a rare case of City going, nah, let's just keep doing that low-tap cross goal. I have a theory. I have a theory. I have a theory. Where do you stand on that? Did you enjoy the fact City kept trying to score goals or did you think it was a bit uncomfortable? Uh, what it, it was definitely uncomfortable because there's nothing Burton can do to stop it necessarily because, as you say, the, just the, the disparity in quality is evident. However, when you bring up, like, the Germany one, like, I'm pretty sure they don't get bonuses for goals scored, right? So I'm, I'm pretty sure these Manchester City players, it's on their contracts. You score X amount of goals in a season, you get an extra million pounds. If there's just food out here for me to eat and I'm hungry, <laughs> why not? If, if Jesus, if it's like, yo, you got to score 20 goals in the season to get a two million pound bonus, I can get four against Burton Albion or five or six. Bro, put me out there. Let me eat. So I kind of respect the hustle, but yes, it's uncomfortable at the same time. I'll throw the question to have hope. Um, oh, no, no. It's, you see, the Brazil and Germany thing, as painful as it was to watch, I'm like, this is still a World Cup semi final against two of the heavyweights of four balls. So it is what it is. Hence why that is one of the most infamous games of all time. Bottom. Come on. <laughs> like, Man City, look at the amount of money they have, the players they can get, and Botson, I mean, so or, already, it's already a mismatch already. So once you now get into 5, 6, 7, you have to use the forfeit rule. Like, all this crap about all, you know, it's about the spirit of, of, of the game, and it's about, no, 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 shut the hell up. It's flipping Botson. By the time City got the 6 or 7 to go, call the game off, use the forfeit rule, put City in the final. Like, why are you playing the second, like, for what? For what reason? Sorry, <laughs> you have forfeited the right to have those stars come to your stadium because you've put the game into disrepute by losing, by almost losing <laughs> by a double figure. So no, you've lost our rights. No. So yeah. You put the game into disrepute. Ah, okay. Yeah, man. And I just thought that was we 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 had to talk about that one. There wasn't no way. There, there wasn't a way not to. All right. Um, 
at the end of the table, we got time for one story. Big story of the day. Uh, Dav- David Wagner got sacked. American German manager, a German American manager um, for Huddersfield Town. He got them promoted. He kept them up, but they're holding up the table right now with I think eleven points or some meager number. So it's kind of it, it's inevitable in some ways because Huddersfield really shouldn't be in the Premier League for two years straight. It's really unfortunate. Like Huddersfield yeah. got promoted with negative two goal difference. They didn't win a game in ninety minutes in the entire playoffs. They they are they are they are they were they had they had a mid championship level quality squad when they were in the championship mm. and then in the Premier League they didn't particularly improve that squad but they stayed up thanks to some you know thanks to a victory over Manchester United and some other big wins elsewhere like that David Wagner has done everything right someone described it as the man who jogs six miles every single morning doesn't drink alcohol does yoga all the time learns loads of languages keeps himself firm and proper and then one day gets hit by a car just Sometimes it just gets you. You can do everything right, and every now and again, it still does this. Yeah, Something particular to note about the the Huddersfield thing. Huddersfield describing it as his departure via mutual consent. Huddersfield are being in the release. They are very much stressing that this was via mutual consent. This was not Huddersfield going. You have to go, and him going. Oh, okay, but very much a at least sixty forty decision between the club and and David Wagner. We're basically going. We're probably not going to be able to give you much money in the transfer window. What can you do to keep this side up in the Premier League? And and Wagner going, probably not. Can I leave? And and the club more or less going, yes. Really interesting about how the effects this might have on the Bundesliga. So a number of Bundesliga managers stayed in their jobs over the summer due to World Cup summer. But Wagner's stock is quite high in Germany due to his work with Jurgen Klopp and the work he's done in, in Huddersfield. So he might be going back to the Bundesliga to probably a, at least a top half club in the Bundesliga next season, if not before the season is completed. So watch out for that. Uh, current reports, some of the tabloids are saying Big Sam for Huddersfield, but I think Huddersfield Jeez. are going to be a little bit more ambitious than get a, a caretaker in British firefighter. But you know, when you when you think about Huddersfield, how many Huddersfield players can you name off the top of your head? Aaron Moy. Exactly. Before, that's about it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So the the fact that he got a squad where you can't name any of their players, not the Premiership, but also to keep them up is admirable. And, and and Huddersfield, for the most part, don't play bad football. They have a very pronounced style. The system works quite well. What they're good at, they're good at. What they're bad at is largely down not to, to bad coaching, but bad, but mostly down to to the lack of quality in their personnel. I think if they'd managed to get someone like Dominic Solanke on loan as a striker, or uh, Daniel Sturridge eager to get into an international tournament, they'd probably score more than the 11 goals they've scored this season and they'd be 17th at least rather than rock bottom. Yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate for him, but I'm glad like they they split by mutual consent rather than, oh, he got fired because that would look worse. But at least this way he gets to kind of save face because it, it sucks when you leave and then people kind of had this like bad taste in your mouth when you do something like brilliant though. Like what he did, he had no right to do. Um, all right, let's go to the continent quickly. Real Madrid beat Betis, I believe. Mm. Um, a late goal by Danny Ceballos, who I think is like 21 or 22. There's a kind of a, a youth thing going on at Real Madrid. Uh, Vin- How do you pronounce the Brazilian kid's name again? Vinicius? Vinicius Junior. Vin- can we? I'll just call him Junior. Um, <laughs> he's- <laughs> junior is starting. So uh, what, what do you think is going on at Real Madrid, Hefo? And I think they played 3-5-2. 
Oh, no, no, look, that's what I want to bring to, to, to the room. Has the empire fallen or is this just the end of an era and they will revamp in the summer and be competitive again? Because when you're looking at 20, 21 and 19 year olds play in the in a pretty real Madrid jersey, it's telling. And you look at Isco and Isco say, my God, you're going to literally look to the bench and bring on a 21 year old ahead of me. That's like that literally is like a middle finger straight to your face. And they were because I watched the game, they were they were struggling. Like it was a match. Real Betis were giving them a game. Like it was we never know what it could be tit tit for tats. And the fact that in your words, Junior is their talisman. He's the guy that they're really relying on relying on, upon. Like literally everything goes through him, and he's the guy that's really the front and the and the magical guy in the attack. That's problematic. And even Varane and Ramos, yeah, they defend it, but they look under in every game. They look under pressure. So, has the empire fallen? And yeah, I'm sorry, I'm doubling down. They're not beating Ajax next month. Do you so, think the empire has fallen? Um, I think so, because I just think that why didn't they buy anybody in the summer? And maybe it's a it's a key because again, like no, this is Real Madrid. If Cristiano leaves, surely you'd be able to buy someone, buy somebody. And the fact that you've not really been hearing any activity now, I'm hearing Ericsson. So is Ericsson really going to change the fortune? No, this is Real Madrid. What's I'm talking about? Neymar, Mbappe, the biggest names, you know, because what Real Madrid attracts. So if you can't attract the biggest names, so the biggest name you can attract is Ericsson, and you're still really relying on Benzema and relying on kids. Kids. <laughs> nah, I mean, yeah, do, do, that's falling. Do you, do you know the point Carl brings up about how, like, nobody wants to buy Newcastle, really? Because why would you spend what they're worth in the Premier League when they're probably going to get relegated and you can buy them cheaper for later? I feel like maybe in the summer, Perez was thinking, we have the Cristiano money. Mm. But if I know Hazard wants to come to Real Madrid, why would I spend top dollar on him when he has two years left on his deal, when we can just wait on it till next year and just kind of use this season as a, like a testing ground to see what we have, what we don't have, and then just go in for players that I feel like are more cost appropriate or cost efficient this summer maybe that's what he's doing but i feel like if he like not buying anyone was a mistake that's that's crazy bro come on but maybe maybe he feels so secure in his presidency that he doesn't feel like he has to i, but, I really uh, want to ra raise the point that basically real madrid have been looking to emulate the Bayern munich model so the Bayern munich model of you have your your robin and your ribbery but you've got your academy or or, or collection of young you know in in Bayern Munich's cases German talent but in, in Real Madrid's cases they, they were looking to to really use that Spanish talent so Asensio you, you've got Asensio you've got Isco you've got um Carvajal uh, uh they've got Nacho as well they, they have a they have an interesting core of players between the ages of 20 21 to 27 of, of Spanish players who you you know are Champions League winners and, and it looked as if that that couple would kick on. Like, I, I I think I've said it every now and again in this podcast. 2018 was meant to be Isco's year. That World Cup was meant to be Isco. Go, yeah, I'm one of the best players in the world. But he didn't kick on. Asensio hasn't kicked on from from what he looked like in those Champions League games where he had a sweet left foot. Uh, and yeah, Lopetegui wasn't their first choice. Lopetegui largely got the Real Madrid job because he was the first man on their list of 12 I think it was fifth choice to say yes. Um, but also Lopetegui 
has had the history of bringing through the being the manager of the Spanish under 21s. He had the history of working with the young players. Lopetegui in charge of Isco, Benzema, Nacho, and Asensio. You could see what they were trying to do, but it just didn't work. And you know, we we knew that replicating, uh, replacing Ronaldo's shot offering would be hard. I don't think we'd imagine it'd be that hard with 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 the Ronaldo thing. So Ronaldo right now in Juventus is averaging 6.7 shots per game. So per 90 minutes, he has 6.7 shots on goal. And, and, and you know, we, we talk about expected goals and whatnot. And it's very often, it's less, are you in a good position to shoot? And more, are you constantly shooting? That can help you get goals. And Real Madrid right now, as, you know, Benzema, who the idea was Benzema was going to step up, go back into the number nine position, keep playing, is currently averaging 2.3. You know, the assembled front three, front four of Real Madrid cannot match the output that Cristiano Ronaldo is putting out for, is that is currently putting out for Juventus, which is worrying. They've scored a minuscule amount of goals. I think less than half of the goals that Barcelona have scored. Real Madrid are old and the young players didn't kick on. And I don't know how you fix that. The, the Isco thing is particularly interesting because, yeah, Solari, he doesn't like Isco. He clearly doesn't fancy him. He clearly, Isco is not blossoming in the way that we all thought he was and whether it's an attitude problem, whether it is he's not the difference maker we all thought he did. But that is particularly interesting, right? Because we've all been on this podcast talking about how Isco is liquid football and seemed to be a generation time and the next big thing. And if he can't get into that squad now, what what is he doing in the training ground? Yeah, all right. So um, Dortmund, they won. Bayern won. So they're keeping pace in uh, in Germany. I think the gap is six points. You know, I saw a thing that's like Sancho had like seven goals and nine assists this season. I didn't realize how many goals he had as well. I, people were really talking about Jaden Sancho's assists. I didn't realize he had like seven goals as well. By the way, uh, Messi and Hazard are the only players in the top, Europe's top five leagues that have ten goals, at least ten goals and ten assists. But be, be, be not that assist stats again. I told you that's why stats are overrated. You know that I can pass you the ball, two yard square pass, simple pass. You can drill past three, four, five guys, and then I get like that has hazard assists within. I wouldn't count that as an assist. For me, an assist is a through ball or a great cross. That's passed towards Willian. How is that? How did he assist him in really getting that goal? <laughs> That's a fair point, actually. I think I think it's I think it's lazy for stat makers. Let me finish. Let me finish. And this is my point. It might be right or wrong, but I want you to hear it at least. Deciding whether someone assisted, if you actually look at it and say, okay, that was a through ball that led directly to a goal, there could be a little bit of ambiguity and actual decision-making that has to come from it. Did he really influence it? So you just mark anything. The pass before is an assist. That way it's more simple and cut and dry. And it's not left to human decision necessarily. It just is what it is. Oh, so, so an assist is, you know, there are there. There's the assist, which is just I played the pass. But there are more complex statistical models, um, some of which I go for, some of which I very much do not go for. So there's there's one that a friend of the podcast, Mike Goodman, uses, which is called XG Buildup, which is this, you know, the pre-assist, the pass before the pass, or the pass before the pass before the pass, the sort of Jack Wilshere special, the hockey that assist. Arsenal fans use. Yeah, which I, uh, I I don't I don't particularly like XG assist or XG Buildup. But like there, there are models. If you prefer your your assist to be very much, this definitely had a positive effect on how this game goes. You can find more precise models for what you want. Who scored? 
have a very good metric called key passes. So do you count the hazard is... thing as an assist? Yes or no? The hazard thing was that an assist to to to, to William? Um yes or no? It's a simple question. Yes or no? <laughs> not the main thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, man. Um yeah, it's not a good one, but it is. <laughs> no, 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 Carl. That, it's a, it's a that, that, question. Not say it's not a good answer. one. That's the it's right a answer. yes or no question. That and I said no. Dan said no, so you say yes, that's an assist. And the, my argument is that, how do you count that an, as an assist? He made a pretty much routine pass to William, and it was it's really an William's it's amazing not. skill that led to the goal. Like, we recovered through ball to Saviola, easy, 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 let me land, let me land, let me land, let me land. <laughs> like, Riquelme's through ball to Saviola at the World Cup, that's an assist. Pierlo's pass towards um, Grosso, what's Grosso. His face to Grosso, that's an assist. Beckham's corner ball towards um, Inso for Socrates to score, that's an assist. A ah, that's an interesting one, right? Pass, that's also an assist. Right, so that's an interesting one. If the assist model wouldn't give the assist to Beckham for that one, he'd give it to um, Teddy because Teddy did the header. Before we hang on, let me land. Before we before we get too much into it, in the same way that not all goals are created equal, so a six yard tapping is not the same thing as a uh, you know Andros Townsend edge of the box walloper. Not all the assists are made equal. Just because you don't go for what Hazard did doesn't mean it doesn't count as assist in the same way that a six yard tapping is the same goal and the same. You know, it's the same way on the scoreboard as a 40 yard, 50 yard can be as no, screen. No, no, that makes no sense. A goal is a goal, <laughs> whether it's on six or assist, a goal no, is a goal and an assist, assist is an assist. No, no, no. An assist is you assisted in that goal being made. <laughs> uh, I think I, 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 is not I'm, you I'm, unfortunately, in that is that is too Pro ball is an assist is, in the goal being made. That is too literal a reading, my friend. Unfortunately, this 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 um, argument is exactly why assists count like they do. Because if you had someone with half hope's mind, Hazard wouldn't get credit for that pass. But I think in in most instances, he probably should get credit just because he made the right footballing decision. Whether it counts as an assist, if that's the English word you like to call it, maybe not. But he does deserve credit for at least seeing William was not offside. He passed the ball at the right time, and that it resulted after what William did in a goal. But there is subjectivity in what is a good assist, what is just a pass. In that sense, but you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. let's let's keep it moving. What <laughs> what does it mean to build a team around a player? Could you provide examples of how teams were built around a certain player, and which player you would build a team around, and how would you go about doing it? Messi. So to, you you guys go. You guys take it. I don't need to talk. No 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 no. I mean, what's it called? Um. So 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 the question is, would we build a team around a player, or what 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 does it mean to build a team around a player? And just to shorten it out. Who would you build a team around if you were given the chance? So, yeah, so for me, how does it mean to build a team around a player? Basically, it's pretty much you look at a player's characteristic and you pretty much tell all of your players, more so your attacking players, because that's much more of an attacking offensive thing. So, pretty much, you pretty much tell your players that like, you feed off what this guy does. This guy will have the most torches, always look for him whenever you have the ball, and the way in which he plays, you guys will feed off of that. So if you're if I'm building my team around Neymar, you have to really be quick, have to really be skillful, have to really be sexy in a psychological sense. If you build a team around Messi, you've got to be great <laughs> with possession. Not that you laughing about Chilla. You have to be great with with one sort of possession and very intricate. If you're building your team around Riquelme, it's a lot slower. It's a lot more 
methodical and it's really much more about a, a slower bond buildup. So it's all dependent on the characteristics of the player. And if it was me, again, I, I mentioned him, I think he's one of the most underrated players of all time, Ray Rikelme. I would build my team under, around Ray Rikelme because of just his incredible footballing brain. And perhaps a Neymar. If it's a Neymar that you know, is, is a guy that's actually focused, a Neymar. And also shout out to my man, Pierlo, greatest midfielder of all time, ish. Uh, so, so very much, Hope correctly identifies that the majority of the time when you build a, a team around a player, the player is attacking minded, obviously, because, you know, the point of football is to score more goals than your opposition. So come on. Uh, generally speaking, what you want to do is you want to look at your your player, be there a midfielder or a striker's key assets and find a way to, to create personnel that have a commonality with him, both either in terms of culture or, or, or social upbringing or, or in terms of playing style. Um, this is why in a lot of international well, this is why you you see um, a lot of contingents or or blocks in, in in club football. So if you want to look at Manchester City right now, they have quite a lot of Portuguese speakers. So you've got Edison, you've got Bernardo Silva, you've got Fernandinho, you've got Gabriel Jesus. They have Danilo. So Brazilians and Portuguese people, they can all speak Portuguese. So they have the common common tongue there. They also have similar footballing back. Well, some of them have similar footballing backgrounds. You can also see how Manchester City bought uh, Bernardo Silva and Benjamin Mendy. So they already have a, a current wavelength, which is one way how you can get like a better style of football from Bernardo Silva is to also have Benjamin Mendy there as well. Um, so it's it's things like that. It's, it's looking at, at, at someone like Sergio Aguero and going, right, you are not, you're like a five foot eight chunky thighed striker who likes to play on the shoulder of the last man. <laughs> so... Rather than so, rather than me buy players that, rather than me buy wide players who cross in, do loads of crosses, expecting to head the ball, it's it's better for me to buy, you know, inside forwards or or, or nippier wingers to hit you with a low cross. That that's sort of how Manchester City would build around Sergio Aguero compared to what you know West Ham did for a while. Of we're going to get Andy Carroll in because we've got some very good orthodox wingers. So since buying Andy Carroll. West Ham have bought quite a few wide players who are their thing is we're gonna take it down to the byline, whip it in for Andy Carroll. Or they've bought in number tens or attacking midfielders who are lit looking for the Andy Carroll knockdowns. A, a lot a lot of West Ham's play is revolved around Andy, Andy Carroll. Uh, another thing going on right now, uh, Paul Pogba. So Manchester United are now finally beginning to build around Paul Pogba in the way that Paul Pogba likes. So as we described before, he's now got the runners that he gets in the France team with Martial and Jesse Lingard bombing forward. Um, Nemanja Matic is playing in more, a deeper, more reserved role, so Pogba doesn't have to do so much defensive work. And Ander Herrera is doing some of the man marking. So Pogba's na role nowadays is be given possession by one of the defensive midfielders, and he looks up immediately and goes, "Oh, they're two runners. Here's a thirty-yard ball. Here's a forty-yard ball. Or I can progress it forward with vertical running." The United is now currently built around Paul Pogba. I like the fact that Hope wants to build his team around a Messi or a Neymar. I prefer to build my team around midfield, uh, like a number eight midfielder or a box-to-box -box person. Teams right now who, who, who are currently built around one player that I quite like, Tom Hotspur, obviously. Pep Guardo called them the Harry Kane team. Uh, and you know, a, a lot. Uh, uh, while Kane, while Kane is unselfish and, and has you know really good passing ability and works as a number ten, Tottenham work through Harry Kane and everything is built and designed to make sure Harry Kane 
is in the best position to score. That includes games where Deli Ali or Christian Eriksen are made to play in a deeper, more reserved central midfield role, or when they decide to rotate their fullbacks based on what they can get forward. Because the the end of the day, Spurs will win or lose based on whether or not Harry Kane fancies it. Really, who would you build your team around if you were a manager? Uh, in in like a draft pick, if you gave me every any football player in the world right now, and went. I mean, your... half hope went historically, Carl. So I'll give oh. you the same license, and you can pick a, a historical player and a modern player if you want. Uh, all right, so so for this decade, I'd definitely build my team around a Paul Pogba or an N'Golo Kante. Um, it, for this, the decade before that, I'd like to build my team around uh, Xavi and Iniesta because those guys just pass, 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 pass. Um, the late in in the nineties, uh, I, I build my team around OG Ronaldo. Yep. Providing his knees, he providing his knees stay sweet, or Roberto Baggio because I'm a bit of a romanticist that way. Or you you build your team around a Paul, you know, Paul Scholes because he support Manchester United. It's not to say that you can only build a team around an attacking player. You can build teams around defensive players. Like a lot of work at Liverpool right now is done around Virgil Van Dijk, and I'd say a lot more of what's going on at Manchester City is done around and because of what Fernandinho does to that team. But that's how you do it, and it. it, it it takes two or three transfer windows, many languages, and a lot of trust to build a team around the player. One problem is that Arsenal are kind of built around Meza Ozil, but Meza Ozil hasn't truly repaid that favor. Hmm. A bit like a bit like late stage Wayne Rooney, where the team was built around him, but Wayne Rooney couldn't do the Wayne Rooney things anymore. That that goes to more management than if you're building around the wrong player. But that's another topic for another. True, day, very true. All right, so that has been the Talking Tactics podcast for this week. Patreon backers, you will get your 30 to 40 extra minutes of content whenever you choose to look it up on patreon.com slash Talking Tactics. Download the app. Yeah, you can follow us at Talking Tactics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud. If you're on the Apple device, remember to leave a five-star review and we'll read it on the show. What am I missing? You can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Daniel to look. Half Hope, where can the people get you? You can find me on that Half Hope one. Carl, where can the people find you? You can find me at Anchorman616 on Twitter. Cool. Yeah. Talking Tactics Podcast. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always footballer. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.